I think that we should stop trying to hire that perfect experience and skill and look for people with some reasonable experience and then hire for emotional maturity and an aptitude for learning. Put some behavioral questions in that interview. Let them talk. Make people be more graciously hospitable to newcomers. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. We are super excited to have the one, the only, the legend, (laughs) Debbie Hill on the podcast today. (laughs) Debbie is the hospital administrator at Pet Care Hospital and uh, an instructor for Patterson University. She's also the host of the VHMA podcast and holds the Certified Veterinary Practice Manager credential. She's a senior professional in human resources, as, as is Andrea, and is a senior certified professional through SHRM, the Society of Human Resource Managers. So Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Welcome, Debbie. Thank thank you for coming. Thank you both. Let me get rid of this ding. I know people generally think that I, you know, love all things finance, and I do. But people, man, people are so much more interesting. I'm happy to talk about a people thing. There is never a dull moment. Never. Never. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So we have kind of this tradition on the podcast where we don't read a bio to introduce. We'd love to have our guests introduce themselves. So without having to kind of read a preformed bio, tell me a little bit about yourself, Debbie, uh, and uh, tell our guests about where you are and where you're at today. Okay. Well, um, I was an Air Force wife. My husband's retired and we moved around. Uh, I was all things maternal, so I raised my children and I did um, licensed daycare, and at some point, my children were all seriously in uh, elementary to high school, and I still had little people at my house, Uh, so I went to work for a friend that was a veterinarian. We didn't have any pets. We just had kids. I didn't know anything about animals, Uh, but the doctor said he knew I was reliable, honest, and could talk to anyone, and it was better than he could expect by putting out an ad. High praise, right? Um, So it was a great start. And when my husband transferred to Florida, uh, I put in an application with a veterinarian here that was building a new building. He is an idea guy and thinks I can do anything. Uh, He doesn't know that for 26 years, whatever he thinks up, I talk to one of my colleagues and go, what do you guys think about this? Well, how would I find that? Um, So um, I have great day managers in the practice. And so I'm allowed to 
expand my creativity. After so many years, it just doesn't take as long as it used to. So I can uh, speak to manager groups. I can teach for Patterson. I can still try to run my practices successfully, and we're building a new one. So I try not to be bored. Wow, wow. that is crazy. That's amazing. I mean, I think, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, I have learned a lot from you in the past <laughs> and, you know, consider you, I mean, even though, you know, we haven't known each other that long, I consider you a mentor in this space. Yeah. And I'm sure Andrew has also benefited from your from your yes. longevity and Absolutely. great wisdom. <laughs> so thank you both. Thank you both. Yeah, we also always like to ask our guests uh, if they have a favorite, you know, book, or podcast or continuing education, you know, lecture or meeting or a class that really left a lasting effect on you. So something that you either came across recently or something that maybe changed your career, uh, you know, o- over time, would you share that with us? Sure. Um, I know that you guys both know that I love all CE, yes. but the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association is my go-to. Um, it's all things management. It tends to move to a little bit higher level of thinking. I've met people that think outside the box like I do. So I, I love all things VHMA. Uh, but a couple years back, I read a book by Matthew uh, Kelly called Off Balance. And it was about work-life balance. And that was really a game changer for me because I really struggle with people trying to tell me what my balance should be when I'm pretty happy working. Like I'm on 24-7. If they think of something, that's my job. Uh, but I've managed to balance that with, it's not about the numbers, or the, but it's more about the when. So I got a lot out of that off balance in that my balance doesn't have to be like your balance. And if I'm satisfied at the end of the day, then that's a good day. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's going to be different there. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of about some personal satisfaction. So Debbie, today we're going to talk a little bit about creative onboarding. And when I first brought this topic up to David, he said, say what? (laughs) And (laughs) I said, well, let's talk to Debbie about it because she is the expert. She does this really well. So can you talk David and I through what creative onboarding is and why this area of HR is so special to you? Sure. And um, because I know some of my managers listen whenever I speak, they know that they don't always do what I say. So I'm not sure that our process follows what I say, no, but I'm very comfortable. I know, right? I know you guys do. What's wrong with them? Um, but I'm very comfortable with my instructions because I, I see so many people hire. We're all hungry to hire professionals. We get them in there. They don't leave, and we don't know what happened. And so it's, oh, they didn't like our schedule, or they weren't fully trained. And, you know, historically, we focus all this energy on interviewing and trying to get skill. And when I think about my best employees – That success is more about attitudes and flexibility. And people in this day and age, and I don't think the pandemic had anything to do with it. I kind of think that was there before. People need to work where they they like it. So if they don't like it, I see people quit with no job just because, you know, somebody was rude to them. Um, They spend their days with these people. And I think management can and must direct that satisfaction. Onboarding has to be more than just getting the paperwork in and saying, go follow Liz, she'll show you everything. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. That's the truth. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's terribly creative, uh, but I see a struggle and then we don't ask them how it's going. It's like, here's our training plan. (laughs) Go on about your business. (laughs) Right. And we don't find out that no one ever told them, you know, the secret to how to make the copy machine work. Mm -hmm. And they look like an idiot in front of their supervisor because no one would share some information. Uh, I have a practice that's, I believe in crisis, And I think that their problem is onboarding. They think lots of stuff, but their problem is onboarding. It does not feel good to be a new hire there. Mm -hmm. 
So tell me what makes this area of HR so special to you? Like, why is this something that really makes you want to just dive in deeper and, and chomp into it? Well, I think my thinking is one of my um, core values, my personal core value, is I want people to succeed. I've been very blessed with people sharing information with me. I've had opportunities that I know not everyone gets, and I feel compelled to give back to some extent. And so I see people that are really excited about their job on the first few days, and the managers are all happy, and, you know, something didn't feel right. And so it, we're not asking what's happening. Like, why are they leaving in the first 30 days or 60 right. days or two days? And so my, my gut has told me something didn't feel right. And I feel like as the, a leader in uh, a practice, we're tasked with trying to figure out where those little nuances are and, and help people feel good. And we're very quick to set a high bar and expect people to come in and replace that superstar that just moved. Right. And it's just not right. realistic and it's not helpful to the practice. It costs us money. It costs us energy. It makes our yeah. people unhappy. Uh, so time. I just really feel like it's something we should do. Yeah, the time is yeah. just a huge time sucker. Oh, I'm going to interview again next week. Shoot me now. Right. Like, how right. much time do you I have, have to spend interviewing? To yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. That, that's like some of my thing is I, I think people, we have an opportunity to help them succeed. Mm -hmm. And we can't be too busy for that. You said something that I think is really important to bring home a little bit, which is this idea that, you know, you bring somebody on, you give them really an unreachable bar because you're sure. expecting them to be that previous person, right? That fantastic right. employee that was there for 10 years and knew how to do everything, right? We're always kind of replacing that, that gold star, it feels like, and, or, or the bar is so low that it was a horrible employee <laughs> and you're replacing, you know, horrible and it's just, you already right. have this kind That's of, you know, yeah. Than yeah. Last yeah, right. yeah, exactly. The lens is just <laughs> completely, you know, mucked up for this new employee. They have no chance of succeeding, right? And you said, people will leave a job even though they don't have another one. So why is onboarding, you know, I mean, we think of, it's so funny when you think about onboarding, right? You think about the I-9, you think right. about the paperwork, you think about the employee handbook. And I get the suspicion you're not talking about any of that here. So why is the process, yeah, why <laughs> is the process after that hiring paperwork so important? Well, and I think that kind of is a nice segue in exactly what I'm thinking. When you talk to managers about onboarding, they're talking about paperwork. We need to get all these um, documents in. We want to get you in the computer. You're set. And then we throw them out to the wolves and can't figure out what we did wrong. Well, you didn't pay any attention to them. And if the staff has any kind of click that is resistant to new people um, and we're not doing anything about it, I feel like that's irresponsible, right? We're, we're not helping the practice because we're not picking up people that are going to be a cohesive part of the team to provide patient care because that's our goal. For sure. All mm -hmm. we're doing is yeah. getting one more new body in there that we've interviewed. We spent money on an ad. We bought them new uniforms. Um, we had one that, like I said, we just had her name put on there. You know, there's not a huge amount of money, but we went through all of this and she lasted a week. <laughs> like, well, that was money tossed out the door. Yeah, right. And now <laughs> right. the whole team yeah. is going, I don't know why we can't get any help because you're not nice. It's going to have to yeah. be that they feel good about their decision to take the job yeah. as much as we feel good about our hiring decision. It's like the, the Mean Girls Club at its best, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. And the Mean Girls never think it's them. Like, they're always yeah, right. to tell you, oh, they really like their last <laughs> practice. Yeah, right. There's a hundred reasons it's not their fault. I'm like, yeah, I'm someone's mom. I know what I'm seeing. Yeah, exactly. But, so what does this 
process look like for you and your practice, Debbie? Like if in an ideal world, you can say, we have this perfect onboarding process where all your managers are doing exactly what you tell them to do, right? Letter of the law. Like, tell us what this dream process looks like to you. Is this day one, week one, month one? Is it, you know, do we take them out to lunch every day? Do we give them the best locker? Like, tell me about what this looks like to you. Uh, To me, what I think is it has to start on the first morning. Okay, that all the paperwork has to happen, I, and I need that. Like, I, I need all of my ducks lined up. But we need to set a couple of hours on that first morning with either the manager or a supervisor so somebody can go through that hospital manual. Um, I usually preface it with, you know, some of these will look like crazy rules, but just know that they're there because someone made a poor choice. Um, like, we have a rule about inclement weather. Don't go out if it's there's lightning, right? I didn't think I had to tell people that. The girl got sent to the emergency room for a while, you know, while her head unzizzed because she was outside for I don't know what reason. Um, Right. Somebody's got to sit and talk about that. Right. Right. Common sense isn't so common. Yeah, it is not common at all. Right. Um, And so we need that time for them to ask their questions and it doesn't feel creepy. And we share the training manual and it should be, you know, I don't expect you to know all of this in next week, but you and I are going to be talking through this so that it's 60 days or 90 days or whatever your time frame is that you feel very up to speed. And so we don't set that expectation on morning one and can't figure out why they're unhappy on week three, right? So that first day is a huge difference. Like there needs to be time set aside, not a whole day, but at least a couple of hours where they get to ask questions and it feels comfortable because I know that, you know, like the three of us are so friendly. Who wouldn't want to sit across the desk and ask right. questions, right? Yeah. It's right. intimidating. So you're not terrified. To it. Yeah. No, it'll be <laughs> right. fine. It'll be fine. Sit there. How's it going? It's fine. Yeah. Right, right, right. So I think that somebody fine, has to carve world. out time. We want to set a stage for progression so that we can minimize that confusion and, and the fear of failure because they've got to go home. I mean, if the job, you know, goes poorly and they have to go home and tell their family they don't have a job, even if they're stupid and it's their fault. They have to tell somebody they don't have a job, and that's not cool. Yeah, that's very, very true. So you brought up, I think, a four-letter word, and I uh, (laughs) don't mean a cuss word. I mean time, right? And every single listener on this podcast, I guarantee you, first of all, they're they're at level 10 of being busy, right? (laughs) So they're level 10. And then you are saying... You know, let's say they do. Yeah, exactly. You're saying do that. You know, let's say they're, you know, they do the paperwork and then they, let's say, you know, throw their their new employee to the wolves. And you're saying, here's all the other things to do. So, Debbie, how do you coach managers to find time for what I think you think and I think Andrew agrees too is very important stuff that will have a much bigger ROI than having them fill out the I-9, right? Like the onboarding process. I think that what has to happen is that we have to have a conversation about investing in what we want. Um, We certainly wouldn't go and put up a practice without any thought into the demographic or how much square footage we want or whether the neighborhood has animals that our veterinarians could care for. Then we have to look at this new hire and expect to put on my Outlook schedule, you know, Thursday morning, 10 to 11.30, let's just say 10 to 11 so that the listeners aren't freaked out, but at least an hour that says, talk to Jane Newgirl and and see that if we don't, you're going to be interviewing and taking up that whole day or two days over and over and over that you don't have time for. So if we don't stop the crazy now and put in some investment to make it feel good, 
it's not helping. We're always going to be busy. There's always somebody standing at the right. door asking if yeah, you're busy. Yeah, exactly. No, just sitting here, right? Yeah. And payroll's always got to happen. But you've got control of your schedule for tomorrow to some extent. If you mm-hmm. don't, we'll talk about that at another time. But you have, <laughs> right. to, you have to put it on your schedule and commit to an hour. It can't be mm-hmm. that you put on two hours when you know full well you're only going to get 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? Make it real mm-hmm. because it's, yeah. you put, kicked it right there. It's all on return on investment. You are just going to be spinning your wheels repeatedly and wasting uh, clinic resources if you don't invest in these people early on. Right, because then after the week when they leave and they have their new scrubs with their name on it, then right, yeah. they leave, then we're, we're back to square one, interviewing, hiring, rewriting our ad, you know, beating our head against yeah. the wall, right? Definition right. of insanity, looking, right. you know, expecting a different result. So investing the time up front hopefully then prevents us from having to reinvest that time over and over and over. And like you said, clinic resources and everything else over and over and over again into this vicious cycle of, oh, we finally picked a good person. Well, you probably picked a good person <laughs> 10 times ago, exactly. but you didn't you didn't treat them right. You didn't onboard them right. You didn't do some things right from the get-go that did cause them to leave. So invest in it on the front end and you get a great ROI on the, on the other side of That's it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's a hard stress on the team. I mean, I hate to sit in a doctor's meeting and have them say, uh, either I'm not even going to learn their name because they're probably not going to stay. Right. That's right. a defeatist <laughs> attitude. Or two, right. I can see the toll on the staff because they're feeling like we're going to get some help and it didn't work. And even if they're part of the problem, management is tasked with creating an environment for everyone to succeed. And I'm not helping them succeed, even if they were the mean girls. Like sit and have a conversation with the mean yeah. girl and fix her. Right. Um, but I mean, it's a very hard, I think it takes a hard toll on the whole team besides the manager's time and the finance. It's just very hard on the culture to see people just come and go and come and go. They're revolving. And I think that you made a good comment a minute ago when you said it's the manager's job to look at that revolving door or at Mm -hmm. that process and try to understand you know, what it is that's causing the revolving door or that where that system is broken, right? That's our job to analyze that and look at it with some higher level thinking and say, we got to switch this up, right? We got to figure out, like you sit down, talk with a mean girl or talk with a doctor who's not going to, you know, even learn the person's name until they've been here past their 90 days, right? Like we have to look at that and assess the damage on our end and say, you know, hey, what is it that's, you know, not happening correctly? What process is broken here and, and, and correct that? So let's talk about three common mistakes then that we make as managers. Like, how do we screw it up? What do we do? Besides the mean girls and the doctor, like, what is it that we're doing that's really causing that revolving door or or really preventing them from being welcomed, open-armed right from the get-go? Yeah. Um, I think one of the big things is we don't manage the clicks. I mean, I'm sure none of my practices have clicks, but some people like No, no, they're all perfect. Sure, right. They're all perfect. They're all perfect. (laughs) Mine are good. I just ask anybody, ask them. Uh, (laughs) But I think that we're not managing the clicks. And we would be very embarrassed to read comments on Indeed or Glassdoor about our practice if we saw that. And I think that management, going back to your comment, Andrea, management is tasked with having a higher level of emotional maturity. Like, I have to be able to read that glass door review and think, yeah, that's who we were last July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What, are we gonna, right. what do we do about it? Because that's who right. we were. And, it, you know, management can't sit and think, you know, we've got so much to do. We've got to get all this paperwork done and we've got the training with no plan. We can't just tell the new person to follow Liz because maybe Liz is the most experienced CSR, but she's not nice. 
Right. And she or she's a bad trainer. To, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She's, she doesn't care about other people's comfort, right? She just wants to look good. But we've got all of our paperwork done. And um, I, these were old days, back in the old days, which I guess now we're all just, either I'm smarter or we're better prepared. But we would hire in a pinch, right? So Liz tells you today she's met the love of her life. She's moving to Kansas in the morning. She knew you'd be mad, so she hadn't told you. So you interview and hire the first person that doesn't make you twitch. And we say, start tomorrow, and I'll get your schedule ready sometime tomorrow. So we're in no way prepared for them. So I think part of the mistake is that we're not prepared for the unexpected. We don't have any uniforms in a few sizes. Uh, Maybe we haven't updated our job description or hospital manual in, you know, five years because we've got one. Why would we have to redo it? And I see people that on day one and day two, they don't even know what they're allowed to do. They don't know if they can go to the bathroom. They don't right. know if yeah. so they, they're allowed to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they don't know. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned going to lunch. We have a practice that has Roxanne and the pandemic, you know, messed this up a little bit. But Roxanne would take them to lunch and Roxanne is super friendly and she's an excellent advocate for the practice. And she's nice. very plain spoken. Yeah. So she'll say, mm-hmm. this is what we do. This is what's great. You'll like it here. Um, but I think that we don't have a plan. I mean, in mm-hmm. the um, early days with Patterson, Michelle Guercio had a little video that was like a welcome video as a tool. And uh, I created that into a PowerPoint for our practices because I think the new person comes in and not only do they not know if it's allowed to sit in, you know, the special chair that everyone knows is Nancy's chair and now she's right. sat in it and everybody's right. <laughs> right. Uh, right? Mm-hmm. But she doesn't know your practice's history. And so I kind of created that for ours. It's got a, a brief overview of the benefits and then I have a little bit about our practice owner, because they may not see our practice owner in a multiple setting, multiple practice setting for months. And they're, yeah. you know, then he sees a protocol that he said, they're like, who's that guy? And I'm like, yeah. okay, he's a veterinarian. He's the son of a veterinarian, the grandson mm-hmm. of a veterinarian, the nephew, uncle, cousin, brother of a veterinarian. This guy knows what he's doing. And I kind of made that a lighthearted thing. But that was my way of telling them, here's who we are. Because mm-hmm. all they know is yeah, what they may nice. or may not have seen online. So I think one thing is that we don't prep them well. And I love that, Debbie, that you put it in a PowerPoint because Those right there you're saving so time, easy. right? Yeah, like so you put easy. it all together. You've done the backup work, you know, mm-hmm. the, the homework. But then you can use that over and over again. And it's mm-hmm. not you necessarily having to do that. It's just another yeah. form, you know, of, of another platform that they can use. And you can just email that, that part idea. to them. You can just email right. it. It just says, you know, who are the supervisors? Yeah. Who are the yeah. doctors here? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I do if I want time off? Just very Mission, basic vision things. values. Yeah, all kinds right. of great Just stuff. kind of the comments. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing without having any good training plan, I think the, the third thing I see that's a pretty common mistake is we allow too much time for discontent to settle in before we ask how things are going. Um, mm. I raised wow. you know, yeah. three teenagers and they came home every day and you said, how was school? And they said, fine. Mm-hmm. Fine. Well, we right. do that same thing in practice. How, how's right. it going? Yeah. Fine. Fine. And we're not mm-hmm. stopping there just and, and thinking, really interact. You know, do yeah. you have all the tools? Are you understanding how to make an appointment? Do you know how to um, scrub into surgery? I mean, we just aren't mm-hmm. even asking. So I think right. just not allowing so much time for discontent to settle in. Catch it early. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's a huge mistake. I see in yeah. our practices, I know. And I see often, like you talked about, like not having scrubs for them, you know, all yeah. the right sizes. And, and 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 what I see often is for a practice that has uniforms, right? Like this is the color scrubs you're going to wear. It has our logo right. on it. It may not have your name, right? obviously, right yeah. away, but it does have your logo on it. So here's some. And, and what I see often is like, 
they don't get the same color scrubs as somebody yeah. else. They're told they have to wait 30, 60, 90 days, right? Yeah. So right off the bat, they stick out like a sore thumb because everybody's in blue and they're in like, you know, red or polka dots or whatever it right. is, right? Yeah. And then they don't have a locker because, well, we don't have any extras right now. And so like, here's a basket to put your stuff in or, <laughs> um, you know, like whatever it is, yeah. all these things that I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, you make this person feel so yeah, what you're kind not of part of the set? club. Right, yeah, you're not part right. of the crew. And you have to wait 30, 60, 90 days, whatever it is, to get your name right. tag, to get scrubs, right. to get the all that stuff. period. Mm -hmm. Right, and I feel like, what a <laughs> well, great way to start off on the wrong foot. Yeah, and then we expect them to feel like they should be part of the crew when we've never made them part right. of the crew, right? right. Well, and I, you guys, if you've ever heard me speak, you know that I'm a big fan of saying that we're a very frugal industry. And so in an effort to save, you know, $7.95 right. on yeah. a name tag, right. we're now right. costing hundreds of dollars mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. turnover. I'm like, right. spend the money and hope right. that they might do well. Stop yeah. being cheap. I mean, when I say frugal, we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we frugal or are it? we cheap? Because right. Yeah. Right. sometimes I see that the whole decision um, over whether a person's comfortable or not is, you know, $53. I will mm -hmm. get you a set of scrubs right. and a name tag. Really? Right. That's that's your breaking point is $3? Right. Right. And you can't figure out why you're not doing well. Right. Spend and the next money. ad's going to cost you double yeah. that, right? All day, every day. <laughs> well, this is such a great transition into kind of mm -hmm. the next question, which is what what are the benefits? You know, so you think about, and I, I don't remember if the statistic is still relevant, but I've never heard it proven differently. So it takes like three times <laughs> the person's salary when there's turnover to, you know, retrain them, which I think makes sense, right? We don't think about it that way. We think that obviously there's good turnover when they're not aligning with sure. your culture or doing bad things. But when you lose somebody, like you said, somebody who literally is so fed up with the practice and might have had a great future because they just didn't, you know, they weren't getting brought into the fold, that you lose efficiencies and you and the veterinarians know more than anybody that they lose their people, they can't run their 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 services very efficiently. And that the costs rack up, you know, every appointment you can't fit in because you don't have the staff member costs and costs. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're paying a technician, uh, you know, I don't know, 20, 30, $40,000 a year, it's going to cost you $120,000 a year if you mm -hmm. if you if they turn over. So, you know, we're telling the managers on the on the podcast today, all right, we're going to make time, we're going to look at our time and schedule it. And we're going to schedule, you know, time with the new hire, we're going to schedule some follow ups. What's the ROI that you've seen, Debbie, you know, what have you seen in your practice in terms of, you know, retention and or attrition and or uh, staff engagement and motivation and culture where you've done this um, lengthy and really involved onboarding process? And I think the, one of the things that we miss is we generally think of the financial aspect. You know, we're thinking, uh, and I'm like you, Patterson, we always said it's the cost of an annual salary for your best employee because your best employee is now tasked with learning the new girl. Your clients, you know, they see that yeah, change. There's a problem mm -hmm. when your clients see a new face every time. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I think that the impact is, does the new employee know that this is our vaccine protocol? This is our prevention protocol. And so there's some solid dollars being missed there just because they don't know what to tell your clients. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that um, the turnover, I mean, I think that's huge money. Uh, but, you know, we used to think, oh, the real cost is I've got to place a new ad. I've got to start that workers' comp over. I've got to buy new uniforms. And that's the hard But the time involved, it takes right? to retrain a new person, every month takes time. And yeah. that energy is draining to the rest of the staff. So now I have the rest of the staff too tired to remember to book that appointment 30 minutes before we close because they just are hoping to get out of, you know, right at 7. So we're not bucking anything at 6.30 and then at 6. So, I mean, that number just becomes more and more as it mm -hmm. uh, not only affects 
how much you spend, but how much potential income that you're just leaving on the table. Right. Um, potential hires learn pretty quick where the good places to work are. So there's also a huge impact on your recruiting. And we're a pretty small we're industry small in general. Profession. Yes. And our, our reputation will be out there. I want the best and the brightest, and I'm willing to pay for that. But in a toxic uh, field, people will go for less money because it just feels nice. It's like, we'll just make up that employee discount. You'll like it here. Mm-hmm. Okay, eventually the IRS is going to ask you a question, mm-hmm. and we will give you health benefits or whatever. Doesn't matter if it doesn't feel good, and it doesn't feel good to clients, it doesn't feel good to our team. I, I think that that money is far beyond that turnover number. Yeah, and I it's like the scary. way that you talk about the feeling, right? The culture of the practice, and what is yeah. that revolving door, right? That Mean Girls Club, that click is getting tighter and tighter and tighter mm-hmm. as that revolving door, you know, gets faster and faster mm-hmm. and faster. And so that culture is something that we have to really um, massage into and, and cultivate what culture we want in our practice. Right. And that definitely is a way to develop the culture that we want to have in our practice, for sure. Well, clients feel that friction. They know when it doesn't feel good or there's a click. The, the clients know that. There's usually something that's like, oh, you must have been talking to Tim yesterday. Mm-hmm. And the client's are like, wow, what's wrong with Tim? They feel that. <laughs> right. you know, there's no secret right. to that. Um, and then the compliance piece, which is supposed to be our whole goal. I mean, everyone tells me in an interview they want they love animals. And then you don't have the time or the energy to talk compliance because either we haven't trained you or you're too tired or antagonistic to say, right? It, there's a, a, a lot of, that goes into that beyond turnover, although that's a huge number. Yeah. What are one or two really good action items that we can start in our practice tomorrow? Like you've given us some great tips, but what do you think, like if you have to pick one or two things that practice managers need to do with their very next new hire or somebody that just started, like what, what are those one or two things, Deb? I think one of my things would be... Um, Look at at least your last six employees that left and see the reason they gave. Like, I think this is a little bit more retrospective than tomorrow's. And do I think those reasons are real? Uh, What kind of team chatter did I feel? That's going to give me the starting place for finding that root cause of the turnover. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times, well, in our practices, we measure our turnover. And I'm like, well, what's your turnover rate last year? And they tell me the rate. And there is never a, and we're going to do a thing. Like, if I see that my turnover rate is 50%, Do I live in a military town and people are moving or do I live in a stable community and nobody's happy? So when I'm setting a plan for that new employee, I need to say, listen, on my next interview, I'm asking these questions that are showing me attitude and an aptitude toward learning and some emotional maturity. And I'm going to set this place in in place. They're going to go to lunch with Roxanne. I'm going to line them up with uh, Amanda. She's super nice. She'll show them anything. I need to have a plan that says these are the who's and this is um, the why. And the, so I the think that looking yeah. at turnover is the why. I Sometimes looking at some third-party exit interviews gives you a better feel. Like, hmm, uh, you know, point. were the expectations too high? Did nobody even tell you where we keep the exam gloves? Did we refuse to buy exam gloves in your size? I've seen that before. We're so cheap that we won't order them for the doctor with the super big or the super little hands. I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Again, like, what is wrong with you? You're just limiting what the practice can do. Um, We need to ask ourselves why, and we need to have a plan for um, what we're going to interview, changing our interview questions to talk about attitude and what they're looking for and how they want it to feel. Yeah, I remember one time I was interviewing someone. 
And I'd gone up to the gals up front and I had the candidate with me and I was introducing her to the two um, CSRs up front. And so I picked out one of the CSRs and she was relatively new too. She'd been there about six months. And I'd said, you know, okay, Susie, like you've been here a few months, you know, what's your most favorite thing about the practice? And she rambled something off and I said, okay, and what, you know, let's, let's put you on the spot here. What's one thing that we could do better as a new hire that you think and, and kind of share this with the candidate. And I was hoping like, she super loved our practice, so I was really hoping that this was going to go well and not shoot me in the foot right when I said it. And she said that we didn't have enough written protocols in place in the front mm. in the front office that helped her remember as she trained to go mm-hmm. back and look at something. So like she learned how to do care credit the first week, but she'd never processed a care credit until like she was three months in, and she's like, mm. you know, oh, snap, I forgot we how that was that. done. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. right. We had one that just left because we had too many. Like you have too many protocols, and it slows oh, up right. the works. Yeah. Okay. We might not be the right practice for you. (laughs) Yeah. A great way to evaluate, you know, like you said, go back and and kind of talk to those newbies and see like, hey, what have we done well? And where do we need some help? Yeah. Pass. Yeah. Debbie, we've talked some great stuff about culture and onboarding and creative, all kinds of good stuff here. With that in mind, and even if it's something outside of that area that we talked about today, could you give a young manager one piece of advice in all of your wisdom and all of your knowledge and expertise? <laughs> if you could say, pick anything you wanted, what would be one piece of advice that you would give our listeners today? I think that we should stop trying to hire that perfect experience and skill and look for people with some reasonable experience And then hire for emotional maturity and an aptitude for learning. Put some behavioral questions in that interview. Let them Mm, talk. Make people be more graciously hospitable to newcomers. I mean, that's a management task in itself. Like, you need Mm -hmm. to go around, and if they're rude or dismissive, bring them in and say, hey, that wasn't very, I was trying to think, you know, gracious. Are you gracious? No. Would you bring Mm -hmm. somebody to your house and shove them into the garage and let them stand there? Right. Maybe they would. Right. That might be my next hiring thing. Right. But I think we need to stop (laughs) looking for perfection and start looking for attitude and some team feel. Mm Mm-hmm. Managers beat themselves up on trying to find the perfect fit, and we take the blame for every single one that doesn't, you know, work out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, find somebody that's going to want to learn instead of coming in and telling you everything they know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Debbie, this is the point in the podcast where we can sit and kind of chat about these encounters that we've had, either with clients or practice owners. Maybe it's been with our staff. These things that happen that, like, you know, your eyes pop out of your head like pugs. (laughs) You know, your chin hits the yeah. ground, tongue rolls out, like palm hits the forehead. No way. You cannot make this up story. And I can <laughs> only imagine with your experience that you have a plethora of these stories. But can you share with us your favorite you can't make this shit up story? Well, I had to think through a lot because, you know, some have confidentiality. For sure. Clauses, <laughs> because, <laughs> then I'm thinking, you, you did what? I, I don't know why you did that. Um, But when I thought, my absolute favorite always remains this one. Uh, When we were first opening, I was running ads, and there was newspaper at the time, and I'd called in the ad for vet techs, but the paper printed it wrong. And so I had three applications for vet checks, and one lady was an experienced vet check. (laughs) And and I almost thought I should have kept it. Like, I I don't know, because it was such a nice rule out. And I really wondered about the experienced vet check. And at that same time, it was kind of this whole crazy time. We had a lady that told me right as she gave me her application that I didn't really need to interview her. She just needed to show up three places that she'd applied each week so she could still get her unemployment. And I'm thinking, 
Who oh, are wow. you people? <laughs> right. <laughs> I so wanted to hire her. Like it took all I had not to hire her, no matter how bad she was, just to punish her for being stupid. Right. <laughs> so I'm hiring you and you're going to come in here and make some money. Right. I, I just, I think people think like I think. And that was, I was younger. Now I know people don't always think like I think. Like they can be wrong. I'm okay with that. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And I don't say what is wrong with you out loud because, you know, I'm a professional. Right. We've had to learn to filter. Yes. I have yes, learned to yes. filter. But yes. I thought, okay, one, these people think they're vet checks and want the job no matter what. And this woman doesn't want the job no matter what. <laughs> okay. That's the pool we hire from. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's our pool. True. That's our pool. Yeah. So, Debbie, we have a tradition on the show where we kind of fire questions. We call it the rapid fire. And the, these questions are meant for you to have just this real quick shoot from the hip. First thing off your tongue answer to this question. Are you re- Do you need a minute or are you ready to, ready to go? No, I'm ready. Perfect. So, Debbie, we're set up for the rapid fire. Um, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting <laughs> impression and impact. I am not perfect. And so I've had many over the years. But I would say that my biggest one is a couple years back, I had this real brainchild. Like we have a super busy practice and it's seven days a week, seven to seven. So I thought I'm going to add a third manager. We had a super candidate come to town. It's somebody I knew from BHMA. And I thought we're going to bring her in. So I bring her in and I, I'm, I'm seeing some team friction. And I'm like, how's it going? And the managers were going, it's fine. And everybody's trying to please me. And truth be told, they were all awesome and kicking butt, but they were tripping over themselves to be my favorite. When the truth was, I didn't have a favorite. I liked them all for different reasons. Uh, But once I sat them down with a box of Kleenex, it was sadly enlightening on how they had suffered until I dug deeper to say, you know, this one needs to take this part and this isn't about you. But I also realized I can only do so much for people's self-esteem and confidence issues. And so, I mean, whereas it was a huge failure for me, it was a I can't fix everybody, but I can certainly set a better process and platform. I apologize to them still because they were still kind of sad. And Debbie, tell me about your proudest moment. Oh, that one's easy. At the 2019 VHMA annual meeting, three of my managers were pinned as new CVPMs. Uh, Since one of my personal core values is education, it was incredibly rewarding to see my people advancing their careers. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? Um, I like animals. Don't judge me because mine don't sleep with us, but I love seeing people succeed. Um, I realize that we're such a caring profession, and I realize that often I'm more committed to a person's success than they are, but I can certainly provide a safe place to work with resources that they need. I love that we care so deeply and feel a challenge to remind other managers that you can't fix everybody and everything. We just need to breathe. And self-care is such an important topic that we are talking a lot about in the profession now. So how do you practice it? How do you decompress? (laughs) Uh, Well, I have an amazing handful of peeps that are my sounding board for the dumber days. And my husband and I watch a lot of NCIS and Law & Order. It's pretty mindless relaxation. Uh, It does feed my trust and control issues. And you don't even know how many ways I see crime happening. (laughs) And how do you balance work and life And do you experience work guilt in that balance? I really don't, but I am at a place in life where I'm not running kids to soccer. I don't have three kids fighting over what they're going to eat for breakfast or who touched their sister's sweater. Um, But like I said, when I went through um, Matthew Kelly's book and I made peace with the fact that my balance is different than yours, I'm okay with that. I'm very comfortable with my my work-life balance. I love my job. I find my happy spots in front of my spreadsheets where there's no crying you know, with numbers, change them. Either see more or charge more. 
Um, but I have time to enjoy my family to some extent. We have a pack of schnauzers that I enjoy to some extent. I have my church group. I still need to carve out time for two aging parents with different needs. Uh, being able to say no to the when is certainly different than not being able to say no. Um, I have a lot of responsibility and I accept that, but I leave myself enough uh, flexibility in there to prioritize the when, and that seems to help. I also budget for a monthly facial and massage that keeps me from imploding. It's only nice. fair to my people that I make these appointments. <laughs> <laughs> and what keeps you up at night, uh, stresses you out, or things that cause you anxiety in your hospital? Uh, I was awake at 3 o'clock this morning. I tend to lose sleep if I wake up and have to consider whether people are going to make life smart life decisions. Now, will the government throw out new regulations? Will all the drugs be on back order? Who's going to be positive this week for COVID? Uh, will the permits come through on the new build? The list just goes on and on at three in the morning. So I spend that time trying to plan the conversation to get the most successful outcome um, for things that I can't control. I can't fix everything, but at three o'clock, I'm thinking I should. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I like my coworkers, and oddly, I love opening that morning email to see what new challenges await. Sometimes they're fairly mundane and some are trickier, uh, but I find the satisfaction at the end of the day of solving those challenges makes it worth getting out of bed. And like I said, just being able to talk to other people that think like I think, if I spent all my time talking to my coworkers, my head would hurt. Um, I've got a couple that really indulge my box with no sides and a couple that challenge every new idea I come up with. Um, so the balance tends to keep me engaged. Debbie, this has been great. Thank Thanks you so much for coming oh, you're on. You're welcome. You guys are fun Thank to talk you, to. Debbie. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Deb. You're welcome. I just want people to know that you don't have to fix everything yourself. There's certainly a huge network of professionals um, out there. Definitely the VHMA. It's where I met you guys. Yes. Um, yes. That's, mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. will help you. They will tell you anything. So, you know, share the, share the load. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your you can't make this shit up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast and be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.